Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Weber, and I'm joined by... Andy Kermuga? Colin Ashley. Emilio Diaz. And before we get going, I'd also like to introduce our guest. I forgot to ask him how he would like to be introduced, but uh, you may know him from uh, his Infinite Fest column on Mubi, from his Patreon, or from his Twitter, where he uh, tweets memes from everything to Uncle Boonmi, who can recall his past lives, to uh, Paul Blart Malkop. Please welcome uh, Eric Allen Hatch. Woo! <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for and coming yes, on. I approve all those uh, representations of me. Uh, okay, great. Me. I was a film, a film, film curator for many years over at Maryland mm-hmm. Film Festival. So that's, you know, uh, my professional pedigree anyway. Yes, certainly. All right, so we're going to be talking some uh, recent digital releases today. Uh, Usually we start off talking about some news, which the past two months has consisted of me saying that there's no news, and then two minutes later someone saying, oh, well, actually, there is this. I don't have the, well, actually, there's this this week. Does anyone have anything uh, before we get into some movies? There was a Hollywood Reporter piece that came out earlier today that suggested Sundance was a Petri dish of coronavirus. So that's fun to think about. But uh, I don't think I have any actual news to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah. I mean, we're waiting on, uh, in terms of festival news, we're still waiting on the... um, lineup and other information for YouTube's uh, We Are One festival that they're doing in collaboration. I can't remember if I mentioned. I know I've heard that Can's contribution is going to be in the form of master classes, but presumably some festivals will be contributing movies in some sort. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think we're going to start off by talking about Crestone, uh, directed by Marnie Ellen Hertzler. Uh, this is a movie that was recommended to us by Eric, so do you maybe want to introduce it a little bit? Sure. Uh, Marnie Ellen Hertzler is a uh, Baltimore-based filmmaker who uh, I've gotten to know over the years, uh, important part of our film community, and the film itself is kind of a who's who in terms of uh, Baltimore sort of young independent film scene right now um, in terms of the behind the screen talent. But the film itself is a, uh, as they say, hybrid documentary or creative nonfiction film um, in Crestone, Colorado, and sort of presupposes that it's the end of the world and the only people left are SoundCloud rappers who live somewhat off the <laughs> grid, uh, making their living sort of uh, gleaning and and um, uh, selling weed, which is rooted in the real-life story of some people that Marnie grew up with who are SoundCloud rappers who do live in Colorado communally and do grow and, and by all appearances, consume weed. <laughs> so that's sort of the nutshell of the project there. <laughs> yeah. Very cool movie, I'll say. Glad to have watched it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I'm, I'm curious to hear y'all's thoughts. I mean, as uh, I, I love the film and then try to be objective about it, but whenever I, um, it comes from a film scene that I'm particularly immersed in, like this one, it's always, you know, I'm always first curious to hear other people's reactions. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can go, Emilio. I think you're maybe the biggest fan of us among it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I quite liked it. It, it trying to, it's hard to try and talk about a movie like this without like res- like resorting to comparison. Like I could talk about how it reminded me of certain Terrence Malick sort of things, where it's a lot of philosophizing over shots of like the Colorado and the plains and the mountains and some there's some beautiful cinematography in it but also i really felt for these people i guess like i maybe would like to talk to marnie someday as a person who i also has friends which very much reminded me of what these guys are doing of just like like giving up their beliefs and like traditional societal norms and like the way that it you things work normally and getting like traditional jobs and just trying to find out what's the way that they can live that would make them ha- happy. So if just like if selling wheat, if selling and consuming weed and just like living basement to basement, cave to cave is what makes them happy. Well, then that's the way they want to live because they've maybe been rejected by some of the more traditional forms that society is working. And as we can see, Every day we can see that people get more and more marginalized and there's less room for people to achieve success through what is considered traditional means. So just like their distrust of society, their distrust of like things that people, even science, basically there's a yeah. conversation about how, well, it's more of a monologue about how one of the guys doesn't re can't say for certain that the earth is round because <laughs> Because he's never seen it, and he doesn't necessarily believe that like an as- an absence of of evidence is an absence of like the facts. But like, I think it's it's a monologue that very much speaks to like the way that these guys think, and that they are just trying to make it by themselves and aren't trying to follow anyone's rules, but the, their selves and what the things that make them happy and the struggle within them, especially as the movie goes on, of like feeling like they're actually accomplishing something and doing something and not trying to pigeonhole themselves into thinking that they aren't a success because they aren't getting likes or they aren't achieving much in the state. I found very fascinating and I found very personal. And then the ending of the movie is a, it's a really interesting, both like kind of gut punch, but also a beautiful image. Yeah. So, so I was quite taken by the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like the um, sort of uh, yeah, hybrid nature uh, of it with like the uh, like implementation of like the music videos and like the Instagram stories and Instagram like videos and stuff was very cool. Like as a uh, d- like not depiction, but just like how they did it. I thought that was like very well done to blend it in a like seamless way. And I also watched um, two of her shorts today. And like, um, hi, I need to be loved. It also has some like very cool drone shots, like that are sort of Malikian in nature. That like, see, comparing it to uh, 
Crestone, which is much more so like it, I definitely see that. I didn't really think about it earlier, but it is definitely there. Yeah, and we should probably mention too, if anyone's listening, who who this would be a good hook for them. The the music um, has sort of has two primary thrusts. One of which are the music videos, where um, you know all the, the SoundCloud rappers present their own music, and and as they are throughout the movie, sort of are able to put themselves in in these sort of amplified forms. But there's the uh, score, which is more of a um, atmospheric. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, piece or long form sort of uh, improv slash composition by members of Animal Collective. So fans of that group um, would almost certainly want to check check out this film as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll say on my part, it's a movie that uh, that I maybe struggled a little bit with. Parts of it, I, I felt like it was a movie I, I enjoyed watching it, but at points I felt like it was going a little bit over my head. Uh, I I think I documentaries are a real blind spot for me, and I I generally find the kind of hybrid documentary really interesting, but struggle with it a little bit. But it's something that uh, I think the Q and A that the Dockyard put on uh, really helped clarify my thoughts. so that was nice. Uh, Abby Sun did a Q&A with Marnie Ellen Hertzler that is still on YouTube uh, after. So uh, to talk about the distribution a little bit, it was online uh, through uh, the Dockyard and the Brattle Theater a couple weeks ago uh, leading up to that Q&A for a weekend. And so that window is closed, but... Uh, Hopefully it's going to be back online in uh, other other venues at some point. Yeah, because it was going to play South by I know, and I think it played with True False. Yes. Yeah. So I w- I was at True False and was able to attend the premiere, and so it's in you know every film is is has its own struggle right now, and um, it has its own particulars, but I feel like it's in a really unique position because it had its premiere at what might end up being, you know, the last film festival mm-hmm. of 2020 or, you know, uh, at mm-hmm. true false. And it was while, uh, Marnie was, it was in true false while I was attending that the news came that South by was canceled. And, wow. uh, so, you know, we went from the beginning of that weekend kind of using hand sanitizer, but sort of wondering, is this a real thing to by the end realizing like, Oh, this is, you know, certainly, at least our our film world is going to be drastically changed by this. And, you know, it was maybe a week after that, that, you know, uh, city by city lockdown started and such. So, mm-hmm. you know, this film is really, really tied up in my mind right now with, with our present moment. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And how I absorbed it, but also in that it depicts isolated mm-hmm. people. It's the end of the world, et cetera. So, but yeah, like an intriguing case study in a film that had just launched its festival premiere and then because it has you know multiple layers of of music and and pop culture elements it would have been really interesting to see how the soundcloud rap stuff and the animal collective stuff for instance might have raised its profile at south by southwest but that's not happening so so it has to find these Mm -hmm. other ways um and it's it's essentially you know having its its festival run online right now because it had already launched 
Also, so it's uh, not a film that's uh, consistently available right now. In other words, people should go to uh, Memory, which is the the um, you know uh, production company behind the film, and check to see when like the next festival appearance will be. Yeah. Yeah, and Memory is a, a really cool production company. We talked about uh, my first film a couple weeks yes. ago, the Zia Inger oh. film. They also did uh, Rat Film, which I've seen, the Theo Anthony film, which is really excellent. Yeah, Rat Film is another Baltimore movie, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, like you said, another Memory film. But if you wanna, if you've seen Crestone and want further viewing, or or want to place it in context. I think Rat Film's a really um, good point of reference to, to sort of show the scene that it sprang from, and, and there's definitely some overlapping concerns, uh, both in terms of subject matter and, and aesthetics there. Yeah. I also, just like as a thing that I liked about it a lot, the guy on the bike that sort of pops in the middle and uh, is given like goggles and bread by sort of like the lead of the SoundCloud rappers and then has this like monologue at the end uh in like a very cool looking scene it just is like my favorite thing of it It just stuck out to me so much he's such like a (laughs) interesting character yeah yeah the film people who are put off by by you know experimental film or hybrid documentary and all these sort of you know highfalutin terms it it does have an element you know i've in in trying to interest general audiences in it i mean if you've you know, imagine a jackass where they don't hurt themselves or if you've liked <laughs> right. the last couple of Harmony films like uh, Spring Breakers or The Beach Bum. There's there's a lot of quotables and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, weed infused bad behavior that you might respond to here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah, I also say just like as a collection of like characters who to get to know, it is definitely like a like you see you meet a lot of people and you are like, I want to know more about this person uh, as soon as you see them in that movie. So mm-hmm. so you do. And it does, you know, yeah. you do get to know some of them a little more. So it's, it's it definitely is like there's a lot of people who you will like be like, oh, this is a very intriguing type of person who I want to learn more about with you, when you watch it. Yeah. Also, uh, as someone who's consumed a lot of bad soundcloud rap um, <laughs> um i will say that some of it is actually pretty good in the movie there's actually some pretty nice beats there's a song in it that uses a beat from the sonic games that is actually a pretty fun yes. and funny song and the the songs that are actually bad are very bad in a very accurate way so if you are any way a connoisseur of bad soundcloud rap like i am and have been it's a good movie to watch for that <laughs> this is the kind of discourse that south by was going to provide so yeah exactly <laughs> should we move on to grand bazaar yeah sure. sure uh grand bazaar is a movie that uh is another one that where the timing is a little weird on because as we post this uh, probably on Friday, there's going to be a couple days left of its run on Mubi, uh, and I'm not sure if it's going to be available after that. Uh, but yeah, it's a film directed by uh, Jody Mack. It's another kind of experimental feature film. Uh, in this case, uh, Jody Mack is an animator, and so this is a film that really, it's about travel, kind of, uh, and textiles. 
Most of the animation is done with different uh, fabrics and textiles. Uh, it's it's a basically a silent film. There's no dialogue in it other than the it's just the score. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's it's really cool. I mean, I I've uh, been an admirer of Jody Mack for a while. She's got. Uh, a there's a music video that she did called curses uh i can't remember for who the band is uh but that's one that i really like uh i actually got to see a program of her films at the kennedy center last fall and uh one film that i'd seen before or thought i had seen before uh called let your light shine it's uh that's a really that's like just like a two or three minute short that uh uh uses uh refracted light glasses like those glasses that you would get um at like a kind of holiday thing if you go to like a light festival that'll make the kind of lights go all all over the place in different colors uh the theatrical version of that film uses those type of glasses and is really really cool uh so she does really cool stuff with animation and the the version that is online of that film is uh an approximation of what that looks like which is still quite cool but yeah the grand bazaar is her uh i guess second feature dusty stacks of mom is maybe more of a, a mid-length but yeah yeah another one that is like very cool uh it reminded me like very on like on a surface level of the uh harvard sel movies that i'd seen like leviathan and monica mana and how it's just like uh visual very minimal if any um dialogue but this uh has a thumping score that (laughs) as i said on my letterbox review properly recognizes the skype incoming call sound as a full-on banger <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's another film in the experimental realm that like that term almost gives a disservice to because it's really pleasurable you know yeah. um, mm-hmm. even, even with the volume down it's it's such a feast for the eyes and kind of you know plays similarly you know as a playground for the eyes as maybe electronic music does for the ears you know um mm-hmm. it's it's what about an hour in running. Um, yeah, so I think yeah. it's, it's been a while since I've seen it, but um, it, it, it creates a nice kind of timeless feeling when you experience it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say that the, um, the aesthetic that most came to mind for me actually watching it was like growing up, watch the, the interstitials that would come on during Sesame street in between okay. segments with the puppets um and i totally mean this as a compliment like it's like you know it's like the sound and the music and like lots of still images and like you can like the the way that like numbers and letters would just sort of swirl around yes. like in between segments on sesame street like it the they the the textiles are used in the same way here and i i thought it was yeah just a lot of fun to watch and just consider and like and, and sort of marvel at like all the different images in it yeah i mean yeah. I was say, I enjoy it. Uh, I really enjoyed the music of it. Just like, uh, as you mentioned, the Skype incoming call bangers. Yes. There's a lot of like interesting <laughs> songs and music used in it. I like how it's like, I really like propulsive beats. I probably, I'm, 
I might be the person in this call who's most into like house music and electronic music and have been to like festivals. And so I appreciate like a good running score and running beat and like a dun 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 dun. And it does that very well. I really enjoyed the colors. I really enjoyed this is what I mean. I feel like this is a weird thing to say considering we've watched like enti- almost entire cans runs, but these, this week of worth of movies might be the favorite weeks of movies <laughs> that I've watched. I co- <laughs> like, one of the reasons, this might be going very in the weeds, but one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast in the first place and why I pitched it, helped pitch it with Jesse a while ago is because I wanted to get into like weirder, smaller, nicher movies and like experimental movies and international movies. And it's always fun to discover something like this that is just like kind of breaks your concept of like, oh, this is what a movie can be and it can be extremely watchable and entertaining and you can actually learn something from it because I, one of the underrated aspects of the Grand Bizarre to me is that, like, the story and the way that it yeah. kind of carries itself is, like, even as just a montage of sound and colors, it manages to have, like, it manages to be an effective travelogue about, like, the production and the movement of textiles from, like, inspiration to production to sale to, like, how it gets passed down from people to people. And I really appreciated that about it. And that's actually one of the things that I wanted to ask Eric about which is like as a programmer how much do you value like finding new and interesting people like a Jody Mac or like a Marnie who are are doing interesting work that is outside of the mainstream and can break the concept of like the more normal movies that might play at a film festival yeah I mean it's it's invaluable I I think that that's what I main takeaway for a film like this and, and most of the films we're discussing today is um, you know, as a programmer, you see uh, a lot of amateur work, but you also see a lot of uh, acclaimed, pretentious, boring work, you know, and <laughs> you, you have to sort of decide whether you're with each one, whether you're going to drink the Kool-Aid or not. And it's not to say that those films don't have value, but, um, you know, f- film, obviously the technology of film and video continues to advance, but the real uh, realm of discovery is 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 personal expression and viewpoint and um that's you know uh rather than repeating the same slate from city to city i think that's the value of film festivals is to is to find uh go through a, a call for entries of a thousand films and even if 950 of them do nothing for you you know the the real gems and the, and the real challenging pieces or the real uh, provocative pieces or just fresh perspectives hopefully rise to the top. Um, and yeah, I mean, um, I, uh, have been involved in different festivals program, both these filmmakers work. So I'm really glad you're, you're uh, promoting them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I can, I can just say quickly that I think that's something that, uh, you were really good at having attended the Maryland film festival a few times when you were, uh, Working at it, uh, one that comes to mind is Fraud, which I think is another memory film, actually, oh, the Dean Fleischer Camp movie. That's a, that's a really, that I think they've maybe, uh, put online now. It, it wasn't out for a long time, probably because, uh, it's a, because of its uniqueness in some ways. That's a, uh, a, uh, kind of a montage of this family's, 
uh, YouTube videos. Like, they just kind of have, like, a little YouTube channel that kind of twists them into a narrative that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Fraud is a, is a great um, point of discussion for these kind of films. And, and yeah, it is a memory production. And basically, uh, as you said, just access you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of, of uploads from one family and um, creates a false narrative, you know, right there in the mm-hmm. title fraud um, that makes it look like instead of, you know, enjoying their vacations, they're, they're up to something, you know, really transgressive and nefarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, you can watch that online. I believe, I think it's, it's a slightly different version that played festivals um, because That's of licensing pick. and such, um, but e- equally great. And um, definitely, if people are intrigued by a film like Crestone, um, definitely Fraud would be another good one to, to check out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, another reason uh, like we kind of wanted to talk to you, and especially is because a couple of months ago, I actually watched Uncle Boomy, who can recall his past lives for the first time. And I, oh, yeah. and I did, and I like loved it. And it was like, the kind of movie that I would never be, ex- I've been exposed to without like dumb photoshops of Paul Blart over it. And it's like <laughs> that, that kind of combination of like being able to take experimental film and like international film, something that has a tendency to take itself extremely seriously and be like sort of uninviting and like mix it with actually goofy humor and getting people to actually check it out and make it seem like a fun, interesting a- activity is something that I really appreciate that you have done over the last year that someone who has not ever attended the Maryland film festival because I live in Puerto Rico, but has been familiar with your work with memes over the internet. <laughs> oh, thanks. That, that actually means a lot. I mean, I, I, I like doing for them for the last, but it's even more like, and again, I'll try not to sound as pretentious, but uh, as, as some of the films we all have to watch, but um, you know, I, I do hope that they can, I don't want to say add to the conversation, um, but uh, let me put it this way. You know, most people don't have video stores anymore. Um, but the real way you're going to uh, sell a film is by someone seeing an image from it and being captivated by it or intrigued and wanting to see more. Right. And, you know, vi- posters and, and video store boxes used to be, for me, at least the way that I would say, oh, you know, there's got to be something uh, about this movie because this this image really hooks me. So on some level, maybe memes are the new video boxes, you know, they they pull mm-hmm. you in as their own piece, but then if you really want to access what's laying behind it, you have to you have to go and and uh, source the film somehow. And uh, I'm glad you enjoyed Uncle Boon Me. I, I mean that one endlessly. Its title and its visuals lend itself to it so much. But I even um, even more love the film, uh, the feature he made a little earlier called Syndromes in a Century. Uh, not too many people have seen it, so I, I can't. Um, you know, put, uh, <laughs> literally the internet with memes about it quite as much. But <laughs> if people have gone, um, to Uncle Boon Me and Pasco, I, I say watch Syndromes in a Century as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. There's no endless, there's no endless well, like a movie being called Uncle Boon Me who can recall his past lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an endless source for great content. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and just going back to Jody Mack real quickly, even if you're listening to this uh, and the window to watch the Grand Bazaar on uh, 
movie has closed a lot of her short work is on her Vimeo. So that is somewhere to look. And there's a lot of really cool stuff and some other things uh, kind of scattered across the Internet. I know uh, the first of her Wasteland series, I think, is on her Vimeo. But then the... Uh, the second one, which I think is her most recent short, which I also really like, uh, and those are kind of about juxtaposition between two different uh, themes, is how I'd describe those. Uh, one between, uh, I guess they both involve flowers, one between flowers and computer parts, and the other between uh, flowers and ice, and I think this uh, image is from a stream. But the second one of those, which I, I said I think is her most recent short, is uh, it's out there somewhere. It played Rotterdam, I think, and I can tweet out the link to that. Mm. Yeah, same for uh, Marnie Lynn Hertzler. She's got a bunch of shorts on her Vimeo. Uh, Growing Girl yeah. and uh, Hi, I Need to Be Loved are the ones I watched. Yeah, those are those are two of her most recent, and um, I believe it's both of those two that are scored by Dan Deacon, a, a yes, more yeah. electronic mm. musician. So, um, you know, another shout out if if you um, come mm. at films from from uh, a popular music perspective, there's an added incentive to press play. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could say just one more, one other thing about the Grand Bazaar uh, itself, uh, the the the, the the other thing that I was like absolutely like stunned by and you know sort of it's it was what my main takeaway was was uh the it's a movie that you know doesn't have any obvious story uh that it gives you and also doesn't have any obvious characters that are presented it within it and yet it has a final moment that is perfect mm. that both like that basically presents those two elements to you like all of a sudden at the end. Uh, that I was like extremely stunned by and was like, well, but like I was very much enjoying it. It was like, this is like a fun, like, you know, this is a fun, like, uh, space to exist in for an hour. I'm not sure there's like that much depth to it, but then like the final moment, like, made me really like go back and like reevaluate everything and sort of see how much, uh, uh, of the, those elements that aren't, aren't, uh, readily apparent when you first watch it are actually within the movie. Yeah. Also, uh, I think we talked about this uh, when we talked about Never Really, Sometimes, Always, just like, you know, the filmic quality of shooting on 16 uh, looks so good when it's just like Mm -hmm. these bright colors. I was like, because like a lot of the um, Harvard SEL movies like that are similar and like their presentation are all digital. uh, And this one just like looked so great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it's a great just like background to to think during like kind of mm-hmm. weave your thoughts with the themes of the movie it's something where uh I-, I watched it again to prepare for this and i actually enjoyed it a lot more because unfortunately it was uh when i uh, saw it at the kennedy center it was the the last of those movies and the main thought i was having was uh uh-oh i think my phone's gonna run out of battery because mm-hmm. it is unfortunately very non-trivial to uh, escape the Kennedy Center by public transportation. <laughs> <laughs> but in a, a slightly less frazzled state of mind, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. 
I'm curious, like, what is, what is the, like, audience reaction to a movie like this, like, when you're watching it in a crowd? That's something I was, like, kind of curious about, like, watching it. Like, what what is, like, is there, like, do, do you get, like, a palpable audience reaction to moments in a movie like that? I'm, I, don't, I don't know. It's something I thought about. Yeah, I think I think uh, as I've experienced films like this uh, and and this one specifically, um, I mean, as a programmer, you don't always uh, sit in on the entire screening, but you right. definitely want to take the, the the tone of the room. And um, but yeah, I mean, I think especially because the language describing um, experimental or non-narrative formalist cinema can sound really dour and off-putting it's always a pleasant surprise uh, when something really pops, when something has a sense of playfulness, um, mm-hmm. you know, and when you, you know, you went to something that you thought was maybe going to be edifying, but also kind of feel like homework. And instead you're having fun. I, I, I think um, that comes alive even more when you're in a room with other, other people for sure. Um, so, yeah. And um, I, was, I was trying to remember it's, it's, was that a two-part question? I feel like I had something so awesome to say, and now I can't pull it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, I was just sort of thinking about, like, yeah, is is there, like, an audience, like, um, like, is there, like, any moments collectively, it like, within, like, a movie like this where, like, the audience, like, is specifically reacting with, like, laughter or anything? Like, do you, I don't know, are, yeah. are you aware of what the audience is, is, is doing that much? Yeah, I mean, I think when you're when you're watching something for consideration, you're hoping for those moments, and they vary from audience to audience, right? Like, um, yeah, often often one person, whether it's an experimental film, where I find this a lot with dark comedies too, like mm-hmm. if, right. if one person doesn't break the ice and laugh early on, right. screening might deadly, and people just think, "Wow, this is a mean spirited film," rather yeah. than "Wow, this is so outside the box and and liberating." But uh, yeah, I think what I wanted to loop back. Um, to was a really very real thing, which is programming, uh, you know, a featurette that has, let's say a 50 to 70 minute running mm-hmm. time with other mm-hmm. work is, is really something. I mean, you know, with, with a film like this, I would either, uh, advocate for watching it as its own experience or maybe tagging one very, very short piece in front of it. Um, because mm-hmm. the attention span for this kind of work is different. And also right. I think for any, um, shorts program i i think uh most programmers um go the wrong way and 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 pack too much in you know um mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. sure like a hundred minutes of content is not that much you know if that's the running time of a feature that's pretty average but if that's a shorts program and you're asking the audience member to reset their attention span 15 times and in most cases that means you know opening credits and end credits and this you know uh, pausing of of experience and resetting <laughs> it's a lot and also yeah. like every time mm-hmm. a credits roll you know it's an opportunity to be like oh uh is my phone running out of juice or do yeah. i have to piss or do i have enough snacks <laughs> you know so um that's a really real consideration for a work like this as well and one you know i i always hope that work can be seen on as big a screen as possible but a nice thing about um home viewing is that we can kind of take control of when and where we're watching something and hopefully make sure all those, you know, whether it's urination or snacks, we get it all lined up already. Yeah. And I was wondering, not to completely circle back to Crestone, but 
with movies like Crestone and Fraud of like those sorts of hybrid documentaries, have you ever seen any like funny audience reaction of people coming out being like, wow, it's crazy that uh, that 100 percent really happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I saw the one Q&A for um, for for Marnie's film, you know, the first time it screened publicly. And I, True False is great, by the way. I mean, not only are they such a well curated festival, but each film plays you know, typically four times over the course of the weekend. And mm-hmm. whether it's the 80 seat house or 800, it tends to be, you know, 90% full to sold out, which is just incredible for a small town regional yeah. fest. Um, but yeah, so they had a packed house and there were definitely audience members who kind of had a pretty good understanding of, of the project and its ambitions. And, you know, as Marnie was not giving all the secrets away, but but letting it know that, that there were contrivances here and that the guys were playing versions of themselves. But, yeah. you know, even with that said, a few people were like, you know, well, we really want to know if that guy was able to bike all the way to L.A. And, hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> um, do these guys really just eat baloney? Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, you'll find different. Yeah, festival crowd, um, different experiences and different levels of exposure to this kind of work. Yeah, especially because I wanted to like expand that question into like, what do you think the job of a programmer is to show something in the proper context? Or do you think that no context is sometimes the best context for some of these films and just exposing to people, exposing it to people is the best way to show them and let them come to their own conclusions about it? That varies a lot from work to work. I mean, uh, you know, fraud was mentioned in this as well. And, and I think that's a really intriguing one because um, I didn't know the context for fraud. I mean, we Maryland was the second festival to play it. And the first to play it was I think it was Hot Docs. It was it was definitely a documentary uh, specific great. festival. Um, and. Uh, it was just a blind su- submission, even though um, Dean has done a lot of other interesting work. I didn't know about it at the time. Um, so it was just blind submission from some a film that had played one documentary festival. The only digital still was, you know, uh, analog rendering of the word fraud as a title card. <laughs> um, really mm-hmm. mysterious. And, uh, you know, watching it as a blind submission you know, I had a few minutes of just like, Oh God, I'm going to have to turn this off. Is what is this home movie to like, Oh man, I think there might be some stroke of genius <laughs> here mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, programming it and, and basically saying in the program notes, um, I don't know what this is. Um, there's definitely seems to be some artifice here. It played a documentary festival. Um, I just knew, knew I had to show it. And then interestingly, um, you know, Dean at the Q and A's, uh, I think at the documentary festival, he had been kind of, um, you know, there were a few people who wanted to rake him through the coals. So immediately after the film, he's just like, I just want to tell you, this is how I made this. And kind of, you know, says I did this and this and this and this, and, you know, these people didn't really commit these acts, etc. Hmm. Um, which interestingly, the full disclosure angered some people. <laughs> um, you know, they, they maybe would have sat better in a in a place of ambiguity, and you know, uh, 
mm-hmm. some manipulation that they had undergone working through it than just to hear like, yeah, you know, um, you know, I did, I did this. I, I, I put you through this experience with this intentionality. <laughs> um, and then this is how I, I rendered it. Um, but yeah, I mean, another thing that's interesting about film festivals though, is that you can provide all the context in the world and then people may not access it. You know, they might not read what you wrote about the film. They might pick a film cause you know, the girl they have a crush on is going or because of the, <laughs> you know, something else was sold out and this is the next film. Um, I, I mentioned this a lot in podcasts, but the first year I programmed Maryland, I showed Frownland, the Ronnie Bronstein film, yeah. which is sort of, um, it, if you haven't seen it, it's somewhat the genesis of, you know, the sort of safties and safties adjacent, like, um, you know, rebirth of, of kind of gritty New York cinema and, and, um, shot on film connected to the seventies kind of cinema. Um, but this one isn't a thriller. This one is just about a person who's so annoying and unpleasant that even, you know, kind hearted people get fed up with him and you just spending, you know, I don't know, 90, hundred minutes with, with this somewhat unbearable person. And, uh, you know, frat boy made a bad choice. You know, we provided all the context we could, he picked the wrong movie and on the way out of the theater, he was threatening to beat me up because he thought the movie was so bad. <laughs> so you, know, <laughs> you, you do your work and then you kind of, you know, you don't know exactly what the experience is going to be. <laughs> yeah. That's the thought of someone like, where's the programmer at? <laughs> I'm putting this like, all yeah. on them. Like calling for That's the That's almost never a, a question you want to hear. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Who thought this was appropriate? <laughs> I think uh, I think Frownland's on Criterion Channel right now. I I could be. Wrong. I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. There's also if there's any physical media heads. Um, it was the first release by Factory Twenty Five, and there was huh? a nice soundtrack and DVD edition put out. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's maybe I'll actually tie in a couple things here. I have spent pretty much all of my waking hours during the basically since uh saturday evening with two different very varying levels of long-form projects one of them is uh satin tango which i am now almost done with uh which the arbellus restoration both is available to rent but actually just I think maybe Friday or Thursday went up on Canopy, if you have that. And then the other of which, which I started to weave in as it started, that a lot of us have experienced, is uh, Connor Ratliff and Griffin Newman's stream of uh, watching all of the Star Wars movies as uh, George Lucas and Watto. And so that... uh, (laughs) Th- those are gonna always be kind of intertwined as my mi- in my mind since I uh, went back and forth with them. Uh, but I'll talk more about uh, Satin Tango since that's the actual you know movie that <laughs> played festivals, uh, and it it's the seven hour twenty minute uh, Bellatar movie, which I guess. I wasn't, I I was, that's an interesting movie to talk about in the context we've been talking about too, because it was something that 
you know, I was expecting to be a really, really challenging movie just because of its length. And it certainly is challenging, but it's something that I found myself really, uh, I found it an easier watch than I, easy watch is the wrong word, specifically thinking about the, but the the sequence with the little girl and the cat, which is one of the hardest watches, uh, but found it really compelling, at least. I think the I wasn't aware that it was kind of an episodic movie. And I think that really helps it to be a little bit more accessible in that you're not just watching something go on for seven hours. You kind of have different that you get different perspectives of this town in Hungary and uh, the different different characters in it, you know. So that's something that I've been really enjoying. I might uh, talk a little bit more about it next week once I've actually managed to finish it. But I know, Eric, you'd mentioned that you wanted to talk a little bit about Arbelos. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that they're one of the best outfits in terms of bringing films like this back into the discussion and, and making them accessible. I also co-own a video store here in Baltimore called Beyond Video, which is a, a nonprofit video store. You know, the experience is much like you would have had at a place like Kim's in New York back in the day, except that, uh, you know, we're basically a library at this point. We charge a monthly membership fee and then people kind of just borrow the films they want um and you know i video stores to me have always been a, a reminder of how much access shapes our sense of film history and um you know if people are are going to a library or they're going to movie or however they choose to access film and something's not there um it slips out of mind and arbalist you know they uh the last movie the uh, that's the title of the film, the last movie, the Dennis Hopper film, right. um, mm -hmm. which honestly I think is almost uh, in in its uh, value almost equal to, to uh, Easy Rider. It's just that it's um, you know Easy Riders are a strange movie, but it's also an iconic movie, and the last movie is a strange movie, but almost no one's seen it because after it uh, won major awards at festivals, the distributor buried it and you know dennis hopper spiraled into you know becoming more and more dennis hoppery for a mm -hmm. decade um but it's it's a really important film for understanding 70s cinema and understanding the window that opened and then codified into something else with films like um easy rider and and um you know the the countercultural influence in in film and, you know, the moment that film history had in terms of, that was almost like punk rock for the music industry, where all of a sudden, uh, you know, lots of people who uh, were upstarts were being handed money um, to to do large projects. And some of them were, you know, brilliantly successful and, and some of them were, you know, uh, <laughs> money pits like this one, but a fascinating money pit. So, yeah. I, I, I think their their roster is really interesting. And speaking of uh, San Tango, um, particularly, you know, that's uh, that's a film that is traditionally been pretty hard to access. I mean, um, 
when I was getting into this kind of cinema in the nineties, uh, and the, and this, his body of work was, was sort of at its creative peak. Um, they were going to put this out on, on DVD and it just took years. Um, because apparently Bellatar just wasn't satisfied with the, the <laughs> test pressings he was getting and just wanted it to look better and better and better. But a six hour film on DVD is only going to look so good. Whereas, uh, you know, now that we have Blu-ray and, and HD streaming, you can see the next best thing to, to being in a big theater and seeing this film. So, you know, props to those guys for making it happen. Yeah. And it does look really wonderful. Absolutely. Uh, is there, I know we're going to, I think we're going to finish out by talking about Emma. Is there anything anyone's been watching recently that they'd like to talk about? Uh, before we get to that yeah i i um have been really urging people to check out pahoki um the sort of immersive documentary by yvette lucas and uh, patrick bresnan it's the senior year for a uh it's a documentary that follows the senior year of the class of i believe 2017 at a high school um pahoki high that's uh, in some ways, kind of the all-American high school, you know, it's cheerleaders and football and, um, you know, the pressure of maybe having a part-time job and applying to colleges. But it's also got some really um, intriguing specifics in that, um, you know, it's uh, primarily people of color community uh, in the Everglades. And, you know, just in terms of its topography has this really intriguing collision of things you'd recognize from you know urban rural and suburban america so it's just real like all of all of america in in this like strange 10 mile like mosquito and crocodile zone um so yeah i i I think pahokee and if you don't know the filmmakers um and you're not sure you want to uh plunk down for the virtual theatrical of their film on their vimeo you can check out some shorts that they made in this sort of long commitment um collaboration with this community um so they you know the feature pokey follows the senior year but they first made short films following some of the same people and one called the rabbit hunt which looks at um you know basically uh teenagers who do this like wild sprint catching rabbits for food for their family uh, many of whom are the same guys who end up, you know, being the stars of the football team and, and some of their sprint abilities come from these rabbit hunts. Um, that's a really, really cool, you know, so maybe 15 minute documentary you can check out. And I feel like if you press play on that, um, you're really going to want to watch the feature Pahokee. I, I also wanted to mention it just because, you know, all of us, but I think this podcast particularly and, and my Patreon right now have really been, um, you know, looking for answers as far as what the virtual film landscape needs to evolve into the longer this goes on and uh, i was just really impressed with um, patrick and yvette um, and their distributor monument you know have just come up with the best list i've seen of virtual hosts you know so the the mm-hmm. film orgs that split the half of of the ticket are just so well chosen and you know there's there's museums, there's film festivals, film societies, alternative venues. Um, the future of film is female. The, the film sort of funding organization is, is one of the ones that you could choose to support. Um, so it, 
I don't know. It was really heartening to see such a well curated list that's almost like a who's who of, you know, who in each community is is fighting the good fight for these kind of films. So, you know, even though there's a lot of free content out there and, and this one has a ticket price, it leaves you feeling like really good that you you made that commitment and, you know, um, got those whatever it is, six or eight dollars to these venues that can't open their doors right now. And I can second that just looking at this list. Uh, there's several places in different cities that I have been to, including the, the Miracle Theater in D.C. where I live, which is a cool place. Uh, and yeah, also the Philadelphia Film Society, which I, I went to their festival, which is a really cool festival when I briefly lived in Philadelphia. So, yeah, it is a very cool list. Yeah. All right. Anything else before we get into Emma? I'm all do it. All right. So we're going to go, I think, full spoilers on Emma. So this might be a time to pause until you're able to see it. Uh, We tweeted out that it was going to be on Mubi uh, last Friday, May 1st. They had a, a free screening of it. Uh, so hopefully a lot of people were able to see it, uh, when that was happening. I believe in the UK, it's still on the regular service. If you're paying for that, that has not happened in the United States yet. I'd imagine it might not, because I, th- I think movie might have the rights to it in the UK, but it's a, a music box movie here, but uh i think they had a release plan for the summer so they may do something digitally with it at some point if you didn't catch it when it was on movie this one played um it premiered at venice last year and then played tiff notably and then you mm-hmm. know it was making the rounds i think it was at sundance at the beginning of this year um, i think so and then had its you know movie run but uh pablo rain his new movie about like a dance troupe, um, but about specifically like the lead dancer and the, I guess I wouldn't know. It's like director, choreographer, maybe. Um, yeah, he's the choreographer. Uh, they adopted a kid <laughs> that uh, they had to give up or give back, uh, like under circumstances that we don't fully know at the beginning. Uh, and it's just like a very uh, cool movie, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's th- so. It's def- it's it's an extremely stylish movie first off. Yes, I think yeah. it look mm-hmm. it looks really incredible. There's so many cool like just like colors and 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 um and, and compositions in that movie. Uh and it's a movie that that does that does something that I don't think a lot movies always do well, but I think this movie does really well, which is like it has um a pretty uh, the story is like is told to you like you you learn backstory in very specific ways um and you, there's so much that you don't know at the beginning that you don't pick up until the end and like the way that like it will drop a new piece of information for you to like reconsider like what 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 like so you now like suddenly understand the scene that took place a little while ago uh, yeah. i think it does all that stuff extremely well and i was really really hooked into it and really really into like following that 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 story uh, as well as like just watching all these actors and these characters um uh as as they 
you know, they're, they're, they're dealing with, with high, 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 very heightened emotions, uh, and, uh, due to their extreme circumstances, uh, and also just due to their, like, artistic temperaments, I would guess, right? Cause they're, you know, it's their, they're, they're dancers and choreographers and stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and yeah, I, I, I was very into it. And the, uh, and yeah, um, I, I, I think it's a really great movie and I, and I, and I recommend it to everyone. It- um, it almost plays like a heist movie, but instead of like picking up equipment and like getting plans ready, it's just manipulating people to get where she needs to go to get this kid back. And like once that is revealed that like, cause like I think the first scene they show her with the lawyer who's like, uh, the mother of the kid now, um, like it just like plays like a scene, you know, and she's sort of just like flirting with this lawyer and then you see her with her husband and the kid and you just kind of like have to assume that it's the kid that they were talking about. And then it just like keeps giving more to where she starts like flirting with the husband who's a firefighter and they're like luring him in by starting these fires. And then like, it just keeps showing them back and like back together and back apart. And like the way it, uh, you know, like you were saying, like the way it reveals these things to you that you like, it'll plant the seed. And then a little bit later, just show you what that was for. It was like a very compelling thing. And I think, the lead performance is like one of the most confident performances I've seen. Like recently it, uh, I was shocked at how good it was and like it having played these big festivals and not really hearing a ton of buzz about her performance specifically. I was like, this is insane. She's so good. And just like has the movie and the characters like wrapped around her finger. Yeah. I I agree with everything y'all are saying. I mean, I, I think I might not be quite as, um, fond of it as, as y'all are in that I mean I think it, the, the performances are incredible uh, everything you said about the narrative construction is right on I I kind of put you know this in terms of it, it's like a virtuos virtuosic mm-hmm. um, transgression film you know kind of like uh, Gaspar Noe kind of that kind mm-hmm. of work um, yeah and um, I can't take fault with any element of it I think it's just a question of my taste um, being not really in that zone right now. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas mm-hmm. his film, the club from about, I don't know, five or six years ago was, was more of a dark comedy um, mm-hmm. that, that did appeal to me and probably won't to most because of the subject matter. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I did think that, you know, the diabolical reveals were so good. The, you know, the way the performance owned characters like ambitions and bad, impulses was incredibly palpable um i did find myself i loved the um the dance sequences um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. dance guy it did take me i think that might be part of why i'm like hanging up on some of the the stylized aspects of the film because i was thinking of like something like uh andrea arnold's fish tank or um, the film from a few years ago that Oscilloscope put out the fits um, by Anna Rose Holmer. Oh yeah, where you know you're you're in somewhat of a realistic realm in terms of the aesthetics of the film, and then all of a sudden you're moved into uh, you know the spontaneous sort of ecstatic choreography of dance and performance. Whereas here we're we're in that kind of choreographed space in every moment, even if it's you know just a conversation between two people. It's it's at at the height of stylization. So the contrast in energy, even though the energy you know rose, maybe was not as extreme as in those 
uh, unexpected beats in those other films. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also kind of an unfair comparison. And I don't want anyone to think like I'm saying, don't check out this film because, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really well realized project from a great filmmaker. Maybe just not as much to my, my particular taste at this moment. Uh Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the comparison that, uh, Oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah, it's fine. Okay, the the comparison that I was thinking of most, and you already mentioned No Way uh, in terms of dancing, was certainly Climax, and I think it's closer to that than it is to those films. And I think my, I think I'm I'm also a little bit uh, lower on it than everyone else is. Uh, I think it is similar to Climax in that the the peaks of the movie for me are the dancing sequences and then everything else. It just, it doesn't quite work for me though. I, this is another one that maybe went a little over my head cause I'm really bad with faces. And so <laughs> I will often think that people look similar, but I don't. Uh, so in this case that came back to bite me because I thought, Oh, these, these people happen to look similar, but they couldn't possibly be the same people when they were in fact. So it took me, it took me until I was discussing it with you guys a little bit after the film to be like, Oh, that's what happened. (laughs) That's why it like lingers on that family when they walk out for, for yeah. I mean, to push back a little bit on, I think the no way comparison that my basically my read on the movie and why some the dancing is as heightened as every other moment of it. It it it's kind of a case made for hedonism and the generational gap. Like I could I thought a lot about Crestone because I watched Crestone before watching this movie, and that they're both kind of movies about showing these people living in like kind of poverty but kind of hedonism and kind of just doing whatever they want and living the way they want to. But I think what the ultimate like last twist of Emma is trying to I guess portray is that it is not as empty and vapid as people within the body of the movie like Gary Garcia Bernal's character want to make it seem so that like all this dancing and all the all the frivolity for which they have like sex and the and their look in the movie and the sometimes violent and the use of fire May, for all the, how frivolous all that might seem, there is a point in that, and also and that a person like Emma, who is young and a very attractive woman, who people might underestimate as just like a person following their own whims, can have you know some sort of some sense of control over her own life using these very looked down upon methods. So I I kind of think. I weirdly left it feeling good. I guess it's transgressive in, in that way in which that like all of these like weird and like traditionally looked down upon things happen. And at the but instead at the end, you're just like, oh, I guess it all worked out in the end. This is funny, right? Which is <laughs> I found very I found it, it worked for me a lot. Right. Yeah. The ending is like, yeah. And, and like, and that's how they found a family. Like, it's sort of like a little bit of the tone of the ending, which is kind of funny when you think about the rest of the movie. Um, uh, I do, I, I will say like something about specifically the ending that was like interesting to me was like, it's sort of, so the ending reveal, right, is that Emma has, um, uh, has basically she, the, the child that, that she has lost, she like gets a job and she sees him and then, 
in a class that she's teaching a dance class that she's teaching and then she like immediately like takes him and runs home with him and then when he come when then his parents come out and it's revealed to be these characters who she's been like having relationships with this whole time i for a little while thought it was presenting these as like this is a grand coincidence or like this is like you know this is like like oh like she knew you never would have saw him coming uh and like at that moment it lost me a bit and then like a little later it like makes it like it i through like sort of some kind of tossed off dialogue it sort of says that like oh no she's been like planning this the whole time um and i think the the way that that reveal was handled was extremely interesting to me just because like it put the image was like so emphasized in my head and like lost me a little bit and then what sort of got me back on board was the like the slightly more tossed off um explanation of the image uh, and I think that's just, just a very interesting reaction that I had to, like, the way that the movie is operating. And I ultimately, like, very much admire it. But it was interesting in the moment being like, oh, I don't know, this, like, feels, like, a little too neat. And then, like, being like, oh, wait, I, I it reveals something much more deep, deeply about the character that we've been following the whole time. And so now I like it a little bit more. It was, it was, it was an interesting journey to go on in the space of just a couple of minutes of this movie. Yeah, the movie I think about the most, I actually thought about the most while watching it is actually, like, Gone Girl. But like mm-hmm. if okay. Gone Girl had like marriage stories ending where it's like okay. and they're and they're just a family and they're all gonna make it work, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Which I found pretty entertaining. But yeah. I it, yeah, yeah, I, mean, I think it's... also a reason for which I connected to it, it's like obviously it's a film made in Chile. And it's about like reggaeton, which is like a genre of music and dance, which originated here in Puerto Rico. Then like it has a lot of the same conversations that happen here, which is like there is a conversation where Gal Gautier now talks about how like they're dancing this dumb kid reggaeton, which is mm-hmm. just like this music of hedonism and grinding and sex and like more traditional forms of art, like ballet and whatever. And like salsa would be the comparison here in Puerto Rico are dying while kids in the street just want to be dumb and full of cum but <laughs> but it's so i rec so i recognize those sorts of struggles and for it to have an ending that's like but you know the kids have something here they are making it work kind of put me on its side i will admit well yeah i, I don't know too many people who would choose ballet over dumb and full of cum you know if, if yeah. that's <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i i, I mean i i think you know, I read the film as as her really knowing what she wants and and manipulating manipulating mm. society, you know, to yeah. to get it and not caring or even maybe taking delight in 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 hurting a few other people along the way to mm-hmm. getting what she needs. With the you know, my reading of the ending being a little different, just in terms of yeah, everyone's a family, but they're coerced into having a family based on one person's structure right. vision of what the structure should be <laughs> and you know um they're uh they they've conceded defeat rather than necessarily right. embraced it um but yeah i would be really interested um to to hear like you know a, a feminist reading of the film or you know uh hopefully there's a parallel podcast where it's being discussed in in that kind of term because um you know, I think some of the actions she takes, I, I would describe as transgressive, not necessarily um, mm-hmm. knocking down any of my personal holy cows, um, but <laughs> the view she takes mm-hmm. of of motherhood and the, and the institution of marriage and, and fidelity and these sort of issues. Um, 
I think are, it is really provocative and, uh, I, you know, I just want to hear different conversations about how people react to this character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Worth checking out whenever it makes a, it, it is released genuinely, yeah. which who, who knows when that might be, but, uh, this I, yeah. go ahead. I was just going to say, and he, and he has a great body of work to check out too. Yeah. Um, yeah. From No, mm-hmm. which kind of crossed over into the mainstream art house to the club to, um, what is it called? Postmortem, one of his earlier films that I quite enjoyed. Let me look this up really uh, quick. Yeah, Postmortem yeah. from 2010. I thought was a was a really strong film. Jackie um, so as yeah, well. everything he does is worth watching. Oh, yeah, Jackie, which I actually haven't seen. Um, I, Mm. I, I know that's a really divisive one. Uh, different yeah, vibe, actually, if you can believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually saw uh, he had that year, 2016, where he had both Neruda and Jackie, yeah. and I saw those on back-to-back days at the Philadelphia Film Festival. And <laughs> Neruda might be the one that is the most similar to this aesthetically, though not narratively, uh, in that I think it's the probably the most stylish of his I haven't seen No, I guess. Uh, it's the most stylish of his more recent movies anyway, though. And that also stars Gael Garcia Bernal. Yeah, this is one for sure I could imagine, like, playing gangbusters in a theater just because it's so, like, raucous and chaotic in certain parts. Yeah, and, and you know, it has the potential to excite young audiences, which yeah. is really needed mm-hmm. in the art house, you know. Um is something I talk about a lot in my work, but like there hasn't been a lot of effort in the last 30 years to sort of rejuvenate and renew the audience. And there's been a lot of, you know, pushing the same old masters to an audience largely of, you know, 50, 60 and 70 year olds. And, you know, we're going to be in trouble if, if we don't start um, paying attention to movies, not to presume that this does or doesn't fit that bill, but we need more movies that 20 um, somethings want to watch more than they want to watch, you know, uh, Great British Bake Off or, you know, uh, <laughs> Drag Race or something. Right. Yeah, I know. I remember it It seemed like it didn't get quite as much attention as might have been expected uh, during the fall, during its rollout, I think particularly at TIFF. And as I recall, part of the reason for that might have been that uh, – its first screening at TIFF, I think, got uh, kind of, uh, I think a lot of people didn't make it because it was when one of the screenings of Parasite got added. So I think less people saw it because of that. Yeah, I that was, think that applies, that was I think literally, that applies literally to some what of happened us. to me. Yes, I because yeah. I had had tickets for the first Parasite screening at or an earlier Parasite screening at TIFF, and then that was the one that they had overbooked, and so I didn't actually get to have see it then. And so then they rebooked me into it, and it was the same time I was supposed to be seeing Emma, which I had had a ticket for before I got to this festival, so I didn't get to see it there, unfortunately. Yep, I had three different tickets to Emma at TIFF and ended up not going to any of them because of similar situation. <laughs> Where I missed that, I missed that parasite one, and then the second one, I think I decided to watch uh, about endlessness, the mm-hmm. Anderson, the, the Roy Anderson movie that was quite good, and then the third time it was like the last day of the festival, and I was legitimately so tired, I felt like <laughs> I was going to die, so I could not watch a movie. 
<laughs> so and I was and after it like took a while it took a while to get a distribution. I remember because I remember yeah. going out of Tiff and being like, "Huh, is that movie gonna come out?" Because I was excited to see it, and I'm glad that it eventually got it. But, right. Uh, yeah. There was a point. Yeah. Later on, where we were like all just like talking, and we're like, "Hey, did Emma ever get distribution?" And like it hadn't at that point, and then like a couple mm-hmm. weeks later, it, it had finally gotten picked up. Um, yeah, cool movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. The Fitz All is right. a good shout. I I saw that last year. That's a very good movie that I don't think enough people mm-hmm. watched. Yeah, I, I you know that was one that I was really psyched to program at Maryland and and did pretty mm-hmm. well there. But I I had hoped would make more of a dent in in the marketplace. And I um I think you said that you in a recent episode, maybe even last episode, talked about Eliza Hitman. Is that right? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, we probably covered, talked we, about her a couple times because we talked about uh, Beach Rats when when it was having its when uh, Never Really Sometimes Always was having its festival run, and then we talked about that once it came out. Yeah, I mean, I think people who who enjoy um, Eliza's films would really love would really love the fits. So mm-hmm. glad we got to got to mention it. Yep. And the, your other point of comparison, uh, Fish Tank, as listeners might know, is the movie we retroactively gave a palm door to in, for 2009. So, uh, that's right. Shut <laughs> mm-hmm. the Fish Tank. A God, great film. We are all basis. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it all comes together when you're talking about film festivals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess. <laughs> I guess if we want to uh, transition to wrapping up in terms of future weeks, uh, next week, I think we're going to just keep on talking about uh, new digital releases because uh, there's a ton of them to talk about. I think we're probably going to have as our similar sort of ending film uh, that we're going to go into more detail on and talk more spoilers on. I think we're going to do Bad Education, the HBO movie that was also a, a Toronto Film Festival movie last year. So that's one to check out before next week's episode. And uh, in terms of like what other movies we might be talking about uh i think beanpole is one that has been in digital cinemas and is now on movie uh the hottest august is one we've been meaning to get to liberté was just released uh i think it was exclusive to the uh film at lincoln center this past week and is maybe going to be expanding to more venues this weekend and then looking even further in the future in terms of uh, digital releases, I know Kim Stim is putting out The Wolf House, which I was actually hoping to see. Uh, I was going to be in New York the weekend of March 20th when it was going to be released. And of course, that didn't happen. So they're transitioning that release to digital. Uh, Grasshopper is putting out Dan Solis 14. Also, uh, those are both may 15th so in a couple weeks so those are some movies we might talk about going forward if you want to check them out uh the week after next we're going to be finishing up our series on the 2009 
Cannes Film Festival uh, by talking about Directors Fortnite. We've got a list of the selection from that that we've chosen up on our letterbox, which I'll plug in a second. But before we get to that, uh, do you have anything you want to plug, Eric? Uh, I was trying to think of a few more films to toss at people, not that we haven't covered enough ground. Um, definitely reiterate that I think Pahokee and its release plan are, are both well worth supporting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a film that I was involved in its brief theatrical run as, as sort of the, uh, the theatrical outreach coordinator um, that I hope more people will check out um, without pushing people to Amazon. If you're already paying Amazon money, you can see uh, Island of the Hungry Ghosts which is a really um, beautiful, um, also, you know, poignant and, and, and hard to watch at times documentary that toggles between uh, giant crab migration across Christmas Island and uh, the same islands function as a refugee detention center and sort of one counselor trying to help people through uh, impossible traumas, basically. Um, so Island of the Hungry Ghosts um, is something I, think people should check out i also recommend winter brothers um which is this man probably the best debut feature i've seen in this decade um it's uh akin to the anarchic energy of alan clark um but it has sort of a bellatar or Tchaikovsky kind of visual to it as well even though it has that real kinetic useful energy too so uh, those films. And then, you know, if you want to engage with me anyway, um, you most uh, social media, it's Eric Allen Hatch. Uh, Eric with a C and Allen is A-L-L-E-N. So you'll find me on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Patreon. You can Venmo me, all that. <laughs> all right. You can follow our Twitter at CanIKickIt. Uh our letterbox is still can I kick it odd odd is in pod <laughs> because the P didn't fit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter letterbox at JP Glick Weber Weber with two B's. Uh, yep. I'm uh, at Andy T germ on uh, all, 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 almost all social media platforms. Uh, if there's one that you you try to find me on that I'm not on, let me know, and maybe I'll join it. <laughs> I'm Clatchley on everything, C-L-A-T-C-H-L-E-Y, and I will continue my streak of plugging movies that uh, came out years ago, and I just rewatched Terrence Malick's To the Wonder, and boy, is that thing a masterpiece. And I will continue to forget that I want to plug something until after Cullen's done it. Uh, (laughs) Cinepobe.tv is uh, a really cool website that's been streaming hard-to-watch movies. I just saw last week a double feature of a lot of Rene movies, uh, Providence and Je T'aime, Je T'aime. Those were both absolutely wonderful, and they are pretty responsive. They've got their email on their website if there's anything that they've shown that you might want to see again. Uh, so yeah, I'll plug that. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at I'm Laugh Alone. You can find me on Letterboxd at I Laugh Alone. Um, and apart from that, I guess the, this Friday, I guess today when this episode comes out, I will have published 
a pretty large zine uh, called Quarantine Zine by members of the blank check community that we're all a part of that is and it, it includes 15 different pieces of either art or writing about movies done by done completely for free by friends of ours people we know that i have illustrated and laid out and I, it would be a good thing if you would all read it and share it that's all i got we- yeah, we've yeah. we've some of us have seen a preview of it. It's really something special, uh, and we hope you'll yeah. check it out. Yeah, yeah me and cool. Andy and Cullen all have pieces in it. I annotated a piece about uh uh how how I watch movies that I had written. I I I had written it in high school, and I annotated it from my current perspective. Uh, I think that turned out pretty well. It's very, it's maybe too long, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that uh, note. With that, yeah, on that note. Yeah, uh, th- thanks again ahead. for being here, Eric. We really, really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you yes. so much. Oh, for it was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah. It's legitimately crazy that you agreed to join us, and we really thank you for it. <laughs> you know, two hours of engagement and cinema talk during quarantine. I'm all, all for it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> all right Jesse right, say the that thing. note on that note I'm gonna release our audience bye bye bye